Good morning. Week three of Bo Wilfong, and I know what many of you are beginning to wonder. What is the amazing hair products that Bo uses? We're a Bible-believing, note-taking church, so I want to encourage you to get your pens, your papers out, some, and get ready to, to take a notes on this. We're continuing in our series in Hebrews. It's a, it's a series of Christology, and that means we're not just studying doctrine, but we're studying the person of Jesus Christ. Who is Jesus? Last two weeks, we studied Jesus, the great high priest, and today we're going to consider Jesus Christ, the judge. That might make a few of you shake, and I hope so. Uh, so a few now, for now, we're going to stand and have the reading of the word. I'm going to point out as we read this, verse 1 and 2 starts with foundation, and that's where we're going to camp. But we're going to read verses uh, 1 through 8. Therefore, leaving the elementary teachings about the Christ, let us press on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and faith towards God, of instructions about washings and laying on of hands, and the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. For in the case of those who have once been enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have been made partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then they have fallen away, it's impossible to renew them again to repentance since they again crucify to themselves the Son of God and put him to open shame. For the ground that drinks the rain which often falls on it brings forth vegetation useful to those for whose sake it is also tilled. It receives a, a blessing from God, but if it yields thorns and thistles, it is worthless and close to being cursed, and it ends up being burned. You may sit down. Oh my. Quite a sobering passage here. And... This is considered by commentaries, commentators to be the most difficult passage in the Bible to interpret. So thank you very much for inviting me, week three, to, to share this. And uh, at first I thought, I don't know why I'm shaking so much. I think I'm excited. But uh, at first I thought, oh, I'll, I'll just like glaze over that and go into some of the other great stuff in this chapter. But... Um, um, yeah, I'm not, uh, the Holy Spirit's not permitting me to do that. Last night at 9 o'clock, I went upstairs, thought I'd get cleaned up. I was going to give myself a haircut, which means I shaved my head. And uh, the Holy Spirit said, um, you're not preaching the sermon that you've been preparing all week to preach. And I went, okay, I've done this before. When the Holy Spirit speaks to me in the last second, I'm like, well, thank you, God. I've given an hour and a half or a, a 12 and a half hours, I mean, to uh, prepare uh, for what it, what it is. And um, so there's a second title for this sermon, which is Make Them Squirm. You see, I was... I had designed a sermon to help you not squirm over these, over these scriptures. And when I got upstairs and I'm shaving and, and the Holy Spirit begins to speak to me, he's like, I want you to make them squirm. I'm like, okay, all right. So we're going to read another passage. We're going to read words of Jesus. 
Matthew 7, verse 21, Jesus said, Not everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father. Do you remember the last two weeks I've been talking about being will doers? That's the ultimate goal. Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, but those who do the will of my Father. Many, many will say to me, Lord, didn't we do miracles in your name? Didn't we prophesy in your name and cast out demons? Many will say this. And Jesus is going to say, depart from me. I never knew you, you who practice lawlessness. Are you squirming yet? I remember at age 19, the first time I heard this preached, I squirmed. I'm like, mm, oh, I hope that I'm not going to be one that he says, depart from me. Well, let's read on. The next verse is Jesus goes in and he begins to talk about the two foundations. And remember in Hebrews 6, I said we're going to focus on foundations. So one way we understand scripture is by looking at other passages that talk about the same topic. So Jesus said, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them, they may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew, and it slammed against that house. Have you ever had a moment in life where the rains fell, the winds came, and they didn't like rock your boat. I mean, they slammed against your house. Maybe a financial collapse, uh, an illness, a betrayal, uh, something horrible in your, in your life happened. And, and you're like, whoo, where do I stand? And Jesus says, the house did not fall because it had been founded or it had a foundation upon the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who's built his house on the sand. The rains fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against the house, and it fell, and great was its fall. The difference between these two uh, is that one man, one person had a foundation, and the other person did not have a foundation. And so the question today for us is, how is your foundation? Do you have a foundation? And that needs to reverberate in the, in the canyon of your heart, in the, echo, in the echo chamber of your heart. When we look at this passage in Hebrews 6, one of the questions that arises is, can I lose my salvation? Now, I don't know how many of you out there have ever wondered that. I know when I was a young man... And uh, my early years, I'm like, oh, I'm not obeying as much. I'm not doing what Jesus said. Ooh, I don't know how much of a foundation I had. And, oh, I guess I sinned just one too many times. Or I just sinned too badly. And, and, and now he's about to just reject me. You know, Bo, I was going to be nice to you, but you're out. And I had this fear. Am I going to lose my salvation? So there's two schools of theological thought. There is the Reformed theology. And a lot of you are like, what on earth is Reformed theology? Reformed theology was developed about 500 years ago by John Calvin, and it focuses on, and please, for those of you who hold to either of these two 
schools of thought. I'm going to sum, give a summary of them in about 45 seconds. Don't be insulted. Be like, oh, he left out so much. I, yeah, I am. I'm going to leave out a lot. <laughs> Reformed theology, it focuses on the sovereignty of God. God wills something and it will happen. You can't change if he has willed it. That's their, that's their, their point. Uh, they talk about eternal security, and the phrase that most people will use is once saved, always saved. If you have been born again, you are saved, and you are always saved no matter what you do. You can't lose your salvation. Well, one of the problems with this theology is it appeared in the 1500s, and by 1600, 1650, I mean, you know, everybody is sitting around, well... I can't really do anything because if God wills it, it's going to happen. And if God's not willing it, it doesn't matter. So why preach the gospel? And it became fatalistic. And so God stirred in the hearts of other people to do something about this. And they chose to fight this theology with what we now call Arminian theology, which focuses on free will. And it's like, we're not, a, we're not just going to like do nothing because perhaps God willed me to go to hell or willed that person over there to go to hell, so why bother? But God wants everyone to choose freely. And so they focused on that. Well, they also focus on and they believe you can lose your salvation. Now, I know this personally. I got saved in a Nazarene church, and my spiritual birthday is this coming Saturday. And it was August 19, 1973. So this is 50 years. I have to say something about that. I have pursued God for 50 years. I pursued hard after him. You know, when, when people are dying, very few people who are wealthy, they go, oh, I wish I had made more money. Well, I feel the same way. 50 years ago, I made a choice. I surrendered to Jesus. I would never, I would never choose any other path. Never choose any other path. I have pursued after him. When you stand somewhere and you go, 50 years ago, I chose Jesus. You are not going to say, oh, I wish I had sinned more. I wish I had fooled around more. I wish I had gone drinking more. I wish I had done more drugs. I wish I had more money. You're not going to say any of that. You're going to say, I'm so grateful that I have pursued Jesus Christ with all of my heart. So I just want to stand before you as a window in time. Someday you will be here. Have that be your testimony. Well, August night, I mean, I shared several times and I've shared about the dramatic change in my life. And you guys have heard this. So every year on August 19th, I mean, it was like, wow. 1974, I remember being at the state fair. It's like, wow. A year ago today, I surrendered to Jesus. Woo! And I called Bill and Betty Rutledge at the church, Nazarene Church. Thank you so much. And we talked for about a half hour. The following year, I called Bill and Betty. Thank you so much. And they would always say, Bo, we're praying for you every day. We're praying for you every day. Year after year after year after year. I had such great gratitude. And I would say to them, thank you so much. 
And so about five years ago, I called Betty and I said, and Betty, thank you so much. Bill had died by then. Thank you so much for praying me for every day. And she goes, oh, I don't pray for you anymore. <laughs> I'm like, what? She said, oh, I'm finally convinced you're not going to lose your salvation. So I stopped praying for you. <laughs> Okay, there you go, the two theological <laughs> sides. The Lord said to me, the Holy Spirit said to me, I don't want my people to have a theological foundation. There's two ways we can look at foundation. In Hebrews 6, he speaks topically, and that's sort of a theological foundation. But Paul in 1 Corinthians 3, and we're not going to go there yet, but we're going to go there in a moment, talks about Jesus himself. And we're in a study that's Christology. We're studying who is Jesus, and that's how I view uh, foundations. So I want to know which of, the two found, which of the two theologies do you hold? And some of us, like I held a Reformed theology in my training but my heart still had a lot of Arminian theology, like ooh, maybe, you know, so in my gut I had, maybe I could lose my salvation. My theological training was reformed. So many of you here, what's your, what's your gut theology? And you need to answer that. Well, both of these have difficulty. I could give proof texts and convince you both ways. Wouldn't be hard. Not hard at all. Um, but if you believe you can lose your salvation, what's the line? Like, how much can you sin? If you get drunk once, have you lost your salvation? Or do you have to be an alcoholic for a year, or five years, or ten? Or do you have to do drugs over and over, or just do drugs once? If you look at pornography, have you lost your salvation? Or if you commit adultery, have you lost your salvation? Where's the line? Or if you hold to Reformed the, uh, theology, what do you do when someone walks away from Jesus? I went to Bible school two years. One of my good friends, best friend, walked away from God. He got hurt by God. In other words, he got disappointed, and he's just like, I quit. And he lived the rest of his life. He's dead now. Lived the rest of his life. He didn't, like, say bad things about Jesus. He just quit. Just quit. Okay, well, his reform training taught him once saved, always saved. So I got my ticket to heaven, and I'm going to go. What do I do with him? I don't know. Uh, I'm going to attempt to answer this by, by um, talking about foundation. But before we do that, we're going to read the second half of Hebrews 6 and just some select verses, verse 9. And I'm so glad for this verse. It says, But beloved, we are convinced of better things concerning you and things that accompany salvation, even though we speak this way. So, oh, that's kind of a relief. Like, he leads us up to this precipice of like, you know, some people are going to fall off. And then he says, we're convinced of better things for you. We desire that each one of you will show the same diligence so as to realize the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you will not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promise. Uh, 
For when God promised to Abraham, since he couldn't swear, swear by anyone greater, he swore by himself. In the same way, God desiring to show the heirs of the promise the unchangeableness of his purpose, he interposed with an oath. So that with two unchangeable things in which it is impossible to God, so the two things are God cannot lie, and he swore by an oath. So by those two things, we who have taken refuge would have strong encouragement to take of the hold of the hope that is set before us. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast, and one which enters within the veil where Jesus has entered as a forerunner for us, having become a high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. You know, we live in a three-dimensional world. We'll ignore the dimension of time. We live, I mean, we have width and length and height, but there's a fourth dimension. It's a spiritual dimension, and Jesus has entered into that dimension. He is our hope, and he is an anchor, and that anchor is inside there, and it's hooked on a rock. He is the rock, by the way. So all that prayer for Betty and Bill as they prayed for me, I think God like took us like, okay, I'm not too worried about Bo losing his salvation, but I'm going to use your prayer to help lead Bo. And as a result, because I had people who interceded for me, God did wonderful things in my life. And I want to encourage you to be interceding one for one, one for another, praying for your children. Okay. We're still in the preamble, by the way. You know, we've been focused on the wrong question. The wrong question is, can we lose our salvation? Can we lose our salvation? And I want to point us to a different question. And the question is about, do I have a foundation? We, we looked at Hebrews 6, which talked about the different foundations. One of them was about eternal judgment. So we're going to end up with that today. And then we're going to talk about Jesus, the judge. So we interpret scripture by looking at other scriptures. Um, at the heart of the matter, you know, we talk about can I lose our salvation? But I think that um, really what, we, what, we, what I want to change is not once saved, always saved. I want to replace that with once foundation always foundation. Do you have a foundation? Do you have a foundation? Let's look at um, 1 Corinthians chapter, chapter 3. Do you have a foundation? That's the question. 1 Corinthians 3, 11 through 15, for no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is Jesus Christ. Jesus himself is the foundation. Now, what's that mean? Like, that's kind of a big statement, but what does it mean to say Jesus is the foundation? Well, I like to think of the person of Jesus and the different roles and offices that he holds. Jesus is Savior, so I, I kind of break it down to what I call 12 foundation stones. I'm just going to mention six of those today. So number one, Jesus is Savior. Do you know that he is your Savior? Have you been born a second time? Jesus said, 
If you want to enter into heaven, you have to be born a second time. You have to be born again. Are you born again? Do you know Jesus as Savior? Hebrews chapter 1, Andrew preached Jesus the Savior. So he was talking about this. Well, let's continue on in 1 Corinthians 3. Now, if any man builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stone, or with wood, hay, and straw, each one of our work is, will become evident, for the day will show it, because it's going to be revealed with fire, and fire is going to test it, test the quality of each person's work. If anyone's work which, you, which he is built upon remains, that person will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, though through fire. Look, what is Paul saying? If you have the foundation of Jesus, even if all your good works are burned up, you're going to be saved. Once foundation, always foundation. Let that be something that sinks in today. So the question before us today is, do we have a foundation? So Jesus, the Savior, when we experience that, we, uh, what happens is our self-effort gets dig, dug out. I don't have to earn my way to heaven. There's nothing I can do to be good enough. It's not up to me and my self-effort to get to know Jesus as Savior. Then we have Jesus as Lord. Have you surrendered all? What part have you not surrendered? Look, he's either Lord of all or not Lord at all. That's what we always heard. And, but, you know, the reality is I didn't live that fully the first time I heard it. But week by week, I would surrender something new. Week by week, I would make him Lord. He would expand his territory in my heart and in my life. One point, I had to surrender my grip on money. Had to surrender my grip on lust. Had to grip, surrender my grip on anger and on unforgiveness. What have you not forgiven? What have you not let go of? So we need to know Jesus is Lord. Jesus is shepherd. We hear his voice. Jesus' baptizer is the separation from the old world and the uniting with Jesus. I don't have time to go into these. Jesus is high priest. We talked about that the last two weeks. And today we have Jesus as judge. And we're going to talk about stewardship and the accountability and rewards that come. So most of us, we kind of draw back when we think of Jesus as judge. It's like, oh, you know, in Acts 10, Peter is preaching to Cornelius and he said, we have been ordered by God to preach that Jesus is the one who is going to judge the living and the dead. He didn't say we've been appointed to preach Jesus as Savior. That was embedded in there. But he said, we have been appointed to preach Jesus as judge who's going to, to judge the living and the dead. That was the message of the early apostles. So we're gonna, we want to talk about that. But I want to make this thought, um, put this thought out there. Have you ever been wronged? 
Have you ever been wronged and had to go to court or wish you could go to court? Or maybe you're watching a movie and it's like the, the good guy, you know, has been wronged and finally he goes to court and finally, and the judge smacks the gavel and rules on his behalf or her behalf. That's the kind of Jesus' judge that I want to know about. Do you realize that when you suffer injustice in this life, that one day Jesus, the righteous judge, is going to rule on your behalf? Do you know that? If you don't, we need to shore up the foundation of Jesus as judge in your life. Okay, we're going to look at three uh, points of judgment that everyone needs to know. Number one. That we are judged during this life. So how do I relate to Jesus the judge? We're first, we're judged in this life. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse, I believe, 32. And it reads, When we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord so that we will not be condemned along the, with the world. So number one, what you need to know when you go out these doors is I'm relating to Jesus as judge. And if I'm not obeying him, I've not lost my salvation, but Jesus the judge may decide to discipline me. Now, one thing I want to say about discipline, how many here got discipline from mom or dad growing up? Okay. How many here, anyone want to dare, dare raise your hand like, mom and dad would get really angry before they would like drop the hammer. Okay? God the Father does not drop the hammer on us. He can be, his discipline can be quite painful. But he doesn't do it out of threats. I'm giving you one last time. I mean, come on. Like, I've told you to stop doing that seven times. And now you get angry and you start threatening your kids. We got a lot of parents in here, right? I know a lot of dads over here are squirming like, mm, yeah, you probably threaten my kids. And then you get finally get angry enough like, oh, now I'm going to do something. God, he doesn't, that's not the way he's like. He's not like us. He can just be firm. Like, Bo, I told you not to do that, and you did it. Then I corrected you with my voice, and you continued to do it. Then I corrected you through, in my voice through preaching, but you kept doing it. So now, son, it's not like I've been threatening you, but okay, you have sown certain seed, and now you're going to reap the consequences. Okay, well, that's not fun. But um, Jesus, the judge, so in this life, uh, we go through, through life, and, and there can be moments when the devil attacks us or when Jesus is actually disciplining us. And you have to learn to distinguish the two. So here are some of the things which are obvious. Immorality, greed, idolatry, murders. You're like, well, I don't murder. And Jesus said, well, if you're angry with your brother or sister, that you have committed murder in your heart. I don't commit adultery. Well, if you look upon a woman to lust, you've committed adultery in your heart. So there are these things that we, that we do. But, but outwardly, we have uh, racial injustice. I mean, this is a big thing in our nation. And Jesus, the judge, is going to discipline some of us. There are some of us in America that don't want to honor others among us 
And Jesus, the judge, is going to judge us. And if we're a follower of Jesus, we're going to get disciplined. I'm suggesting that maybe there's a better way instead of waiting for the discipline to come. Christian indifference. So th this, is, this is the judgment during this life. Now, after we die, there are two thrones that we appear before. And one is called the Great White Throne Judgment. It's found in the book of Revelation chapter 11, or chapter 20, verse 11, 11 through 15. Let's read. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, from, whose, from whom the whole presence of the earth has fled away, and no place was found for them. You can't get away from him. And I saw the dead, the great, and the small standing before the, the throne. Books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things that were written in it. In the books, according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which was in it. And death and Hades and all of this was giving up the death. In verse 14, death and Hades were thrown. Uh, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have skipped that. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, everyone, according to their deeds. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. I don't know if anybody's squirming. It's really quiet today. That's either because I'm not doing a good job or maybe God is speaking. Look, if your name is not written in the Lamb's book of life, that means you've not been born again. I brought a copy of a book called Born Twice, Die Once. There's somebody out here who needs to come up afterwards and see me. I'll give that to you for free. It will explain how to be born again. At the end, if you sort of know what it means to be born again, come up for prayer. Today can be your day. The day When I prayed 50 years ago, Jesus got his pen out and he wrote Bo Wilfong in the Lamb's Book of Life. He dipped it in the inkwell of his own blood. Bo Wilfong was born again August 19, 1973. Got a young disciple here who was born again a year and a half ago, April 15, 19, uh, 2022. That's his born again birthday. What's your born again birthday? Do you know? Do you generally know? Doesn't, you don't have to know the specific date. If you're here today and you don't yet know, come up and pray and get born again. Get your name written in the Lamb's book of life because one day we're all going to stand before the great white throne judgment and I want my name to be in there and my name is in there. Is your name in there? Well, we come to number three, which is called the Bema seat judgment of believers. Now, this is found in 1 Corinthians 3. We already, read, we already read this. We're going to look at it again. And so the word bema is a Greek word, B-E-M-A, and it means platform. I'm standing on a bema. So in the Greek games, the original Olympics, you know, today the winners, they come and the champion, he gets to stand up high and then... Number two, the silver medal winner, he's down one. That they're standing on a platform, and we've sort of reversed this. 
But what happened back in the original Greek games was the judge stood on the bema, the judgment seat. And the victor would come and appear before him and he would receive his reward. And so in 1 Corinthians 3, we're going to read this again. Verse 11 through 15, no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. If any man builds on a foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, or with wood, hay, and straw, each man's work will become evident because the day will show it. It's going to be revealed with fire, and fire will test the quality of each man's work. If a man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. Many of us here are going to come before Jesus, and the fire is going to test what we have done in life, and some things are going to burn up and turn to ash, and some things will not. And the things will not, we're going to appear before Jesus the judge, and he's going to put a crown on us. Do you know Jesus the judge? It's not just the great white throne judgment. But this judgment is for believers. Some people, they're just going to have ash. They're not going to have any special rewards in eternal life. We don't even know what those are. But they're still going to be saved. They're still going to be welcomed into the kingdom because they have a foundation. Do you have a foundation? Once foundation, always foundation. Do you have a foundation? Are you like the man or the woman in Matthew 7 and Jesus says, depart from me because you don't have a foundation? That's the bottom line of that Matthew 7, 21 verse. Depart from me because you don't have a foundation. So friends, brothers and sisters, we are going to stand before Jesus the judge. And during this life, we are going to experience some judgment. And that's a sobering thing, but it's also a good thing. I'm here standing to tell you 50 years into this, and I hope I get another 20 or 30. Then I hope I go. It is worth the pain. It is worth the price. Someone came up and prayed for me during worship, and they prayed something about this. He has found the treasure in the field and sold all. Yeah, I did. I'm not bragging. I'm saying, look at me or my wife or look at Steve Zanaco or Linda Zanaco. Look at some of these older people who have walked with Jesus for decades. Ron and Sharon Stoller. Look at their lives. Model their lives because they have found, we have found the treasure in the field. And we have sold all so that we could buy the treasure. That's the real question. That's the real question before us today. Well, I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. Once foundation, always foundation. Do you doubt your foundation? If you have doubts this morning, don't leave. Come up. Come up. Come up for prayer. If you're like, I know that I have the foundation of salvation, but I don't yet know Jesus as Lord, come up. If you're like, I don't know Jesus as the high priest who divides my soul and spirit or, or who, who I can run to, who is like my anchor inside the veil, come up. Let's make your foundation stronger and bigger and better.
Some of us might be sons in rebellion or daughters in rebellion. Instead of having lost our salvation, we just have rebelled. Come up. Let's finish. We're going to finish by looking at Hebrews 4, verses 14 through 16. I preached this chapter. I omitted these verses. We'll read them now. Therefore, since we have such a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus is our anchor. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. We don't have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. Friends, we have a high priest who can sympathize with our weakness. He has been tempted in all things and yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near timidly. Mm -mm, It's not what it says. Does it say draw near with timidity? Let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. So we've talked about two other thrones, the great white judgment, the Bema seat. Now we're talking about a third throne, which is a throne of grace. And there you're going to find grace and mercy to help in time of need. Come, come, let us stand. We're going to pray. The worship team's going to sing. The prayer team can come on down. Look, if you have questions right outside this door over here on the side, there is a, what's it called, Sam? Connect area. area. That's a great place to ask good questions. If any of the things that I spoke today made you uneasy, good. If it made you squirm, good. Come up and pray. I'm going to be down here praying. We've got great prayer team that's come up. Come up and pray. Father, we just commit ourselves to you. Father, right now, I pray for those who don't know you as Savior, that they would come. Lord, that they would come, that they would yield themselves. I pray, God, for those that are like, oh, man, ouch, some of the things he said has hurt. I pray that, that, you, that they will come. Please, friends, come, come down. Father, this week, I pray that as we go, that you will continue to build in us the foundation of your son, Jesus, in all aspects, in all regards, in every position, in every office that Jesus Christ holds. Give us confidence. Help us find grace and mercy in time of need. Amen.